Hey guys, my name is Ian, and welcome back to the AZ Sports Podcast. NFL free agency has begun this week, and there's a lot of things to talk about, so let's just jump right into it. So yes, NFL free agency has started this week, and for me, this is one of my favorite times of the year. I'm always refreshing Twitter and refreshing Instagram just to see what moves each team is doing and personally, you know, what my my team, the Arizona Cardinals, are doing. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the Arizona Cardinals and their moves. We're also going to be talking about the the Vegas Raiders who have... Ugh, they've had a bad offseason so far. We're going to talk about the Patriots and how exciting their offseason has been, along with the Chicago Bears and their quarterback situation. And then maybe... Maybe a couple other signings that uh, I'll get into a little bit afterwards. But we are going to start off with uh, with the Arizona Cardinals and their free agency so far. At the beginning of free agency, they re-signed their pass rusher, Marcus Golden, to a two-year deal worth only $9 million. If you guys don't know who this Marcus Golden kid is, he used to be a, uh, he was a second-round pick by the Arizona Cardinals, stayed on the team for four years, and then left for the Giants for about a season and a half before he got traded back over here in the middle of last season. And really for a guy that's probably one of the better pure pass rushers in the league. You know, he's not he's not star level. I can admit that, but Marcus Golden, he was a perfect complement to Chandler Jones all those years ago. And he really played very well in the games that he played in Arizona this past season. And this is a a real bargain of a deal. And as a Cardinals fan, it's nice to have somebody around that legitimately wants to be an Arizona Cardinal for life. So, you know, bringing him back and pairing him with Chandler Jones and maybe if we bring back another linebacker, Devon Kennard, it's a nice linebacker core that I could I could live with for this next season. Now, I missed this, you know, I've missed a couple of weeks of recording, so I never got to talk about J.J. Watt. So in case you missed it, J.J. Watt signed with the Arizona Cardinals in a in a very surprising move. I, I figured that we would have interest. I said that those a few episodes ago, that, you know, I would expect us to be interested, but at, in the end, I thought he would go to a team where they were more guaranteed to make a make a Super Bowl run instead of being in Arizona. But this signing, it's a perfect scheme fit. He's played with Vance Joseph, our defensive coordinator, before when he was in Houston. I think that this is a real... This signing really gives Cliff Kingsbury a vote of confidence. This is a vote of confidence for him. You see, you know, last season... He started off 6-3, and three, off to a hot start, first place in the division. In the end, he ended up going 8-8 eight and eight and missing the playoffs. And there's a, a lot of question marks when it comes to Coach Kingsbury and his, his play calling and his late-game blunders. It's, it's noticeable as a Cardinal fan. They bring in a guy in J.J. Watts who's one of the most respected players in maybe NFL history. You could bet that he could definitely be, you know, a big voice 
in the locker room, and I think that he could connect well on a good level with with uh, Coach Kingsbury. They also re-signed, you know, a couple offensive linemen. They re-signed Kelvin Beecham to a two-year deal, which is, again, another another bargain deal for a guy that played very well uh, playing right tackle. He's definitely not the most perfect player. He's getting up there in age, so I wouldn't expect him to provide, you know, star-level star level blocking. But Kelvin Beecham was very serviceable last year, and with a whole bunch of question marks when it comes to the other offensive linemen on our team. It's a good re-signing, and we bring back a player that knows the system, has played in this system, so it's a good move. Now, they also made some other splashy-ish moves. They they signed the wide receiver from Cincinnati, A.J. Green, to a one-year deal. All the moves that Arizona has made up to this point, has signaled that they want to make a push to the Super Bowl. You know, they bring in a whole bunch of veteran guys. They didn't bring back Hassan Reddick, the young linebacker that recently recorded 12 and a half sacks for this team. They also didn't bring back players such as Dan Arnold, who was a tight end, who's in his mid-20s. It's becoming clear that they want the win now veterans and want to win right now. And these moves that they have made so far, it signals that it's a make or break year for Coach Kingsbury and the general manager of this team. They bring in a player in in AJ Green, who last year had a down season and the year before he was out that entire season. He's three years removed from a Pro Bowl selection and being one of the top-tier receivers in the league. He's entering his aged 33 season, and we really don't know what we are going to get out of A.J. Green. This could end up going horribly for us, especially if, you know, Larry Fitzgerald retires and, you know, we don't bring in another wide receiver. This could end up being terrible. I do have the confidence, however, that bringing in A.J. Green is going to succeed. He doesn't have to face number one corners, which last year he did struggle against the elite cornerbacks of the league. He has to play the number twos, and he's 6'4". He's, he seems still extremely fast. I don't feel that he really lost a step. I think it's just a matter of he lost motivation in Cincinnati. I mean, we've seen what Cincinnati has done over the last two years. Nothing. They've done nothing to really improve that team record-wise up to this point. It's a... It is... It seems high risk, but I think of it as, you know, low risk, high reward uh, sort of contract. And I like the I like the contract for AJ Green, and I'm excited to see what he can do as a as a number two receiver next to next to Hopkins. They also brought in a kicker, which I never thought that I would be talking about because, let's be honest, a kicker, we don't really want to talk about kickers, but this Cardinals team has had a, had a big issue last season, and ultimately there was a lot of uh, late-game scenarios where we had to kick a field goal, and we 
botched it. We missed the field goal. We bring in a guy. His name is Matt Prater. He came from Detroit, and he beat us this past season on a game-winning field goal. And he holds the record for the furthest uh, field goal made in NFL history. He has a leg, and he, based off of, you know, the game that I watched um, with Detroit, because I don't watch, I don't want to watch Detroit. Matt Prater beat us, and we bring in another veteran kicker, which will help in these late-game scenarios. And the big move that the Cardinals made, they traded for a center, which is, you know, another position where, you know, not a whole lot of people care about, but when it comes to the Cardinals, they needed interior offensive line help, which is the offensive guards and the centers. They brought in one of the best centers in the game, probably the best center in the game. His name is Rodney Hudson. After the Cardinals, the Cardinals tried to go after a, a different center from Green Bay. His name was Corey Lindsley. We ended up losing that, and he ended up signing with the Chargers. We had to pivot. Interior offensive line was a big problem. If you remember, if you're a Cardinals fan, you will remember Week 17 against the Los Angeles Rams on the first series. Our center, his name is Mason Cole. I I don't know if he missed an assignment or if he just got beat badly by the defender. But ultimately, the player that Mason Cole was supposed to be blocking ended up going through and injuring Kyler Murray, which effectively ended our season. They bring in Rodney Hudsons, who is one of the best centers in the game. I mean, he's only allowed three sacks in six years. That is... If you're... You don't know how insane of a stat that is, just to only allow three in six years. But you bring in another veteran in Rodney Hudson, who... When it comes to the interior offensive line, it's probably most important when you have a mobile quarterback. Our tackles are fine. Our blindside tackle played elite last season. Our right tackle, who is coming back, played very serviceable and played very well. When it comes to the offensive line, the interior offensive line, they got to do a good job of getting the interior defensive lineman out of Kyler's face so that he can have potentially room to to scramble, to run, to pull and make uh, wraparound blocks on for the running backs. It's an important position. You get one of the best in the game, and that's makes Arizona's offseason seem like a success. Now, they also lost... An Arizona Cardinal legend, I'll say, in Patrick Peterson. He goes to Minnesota. And right now, their top two corners are Byron Murphy and Robert Alford, who has missed two seasons. And Byron Murphy, on the other hand, as he's entering his third season. He's been a little underwhelming thus far, but you would you would expect a player like him to just keep improving and improving. 
And as of today, they don't really have very many pass catchers. They don't have any other serviceable corners outside of Byron Murphy. And the fact of the matter is that if this team is going to want to make a playoff push this coming offseason, they have to sign serviceable corners. I understood them getting rid of or letting Pat Pete walk. I thought that by now they would be able to snag one of the better corners in the on the free agent market and so far up to date yet they haven't signed anybody and that's extremely concerning for a secondary that in the second half of the season they really struggled and when you don't have very many pass catchers or at least serviceable pass catchers that could you know get themselves open because this offense it's gonna run through Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins but it shouldn't be all Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins you need complementary pieces and there really isn't too many outside of AJ Green and maybe and maybe Christian Kirk which he's still a wild card so Arizona likes their moves everything that they've done it seems that they should be able to make the playoffs with this roster. If they don't make the playoffs with this roster, the coach, the general manager, they all should be gone. With this, with the amount of talent that Arizona has right now, there is no excuse at this point to miss the playoffs, which if they miss the playoffs, Cardinals fans riot. (laughs) But what they're doing right now is is very bold and you can only hope that this will all pay off in the end. So I mentioned Rodney Hudson, who is a center that the Cardinals traded for. He ended up getting traded by the Las Vegas Raiders, who have had a in my eyes just not a good offseason whatsoever. They made a whole bunch of cap space for this coming offseason. And, you know, obviously because of the what has happened, you know, with COVID, salary cap reduced this season. So they ended up having to make a couple more cuts. And what they've done throughout this offseason, they've been getting rid of the players that they locked into during the 2019 offseason, which is players like Tyrell Williams, who is a who's an extreme overpay. If you don't know, he's a wide receiver. He's been hurt the last couple of years and ended up just being a terrible contract and a bad overpay. He ended up getting cut. They signed one of the best tackles in the league named Trent Brown to, at the time, was, you know, the largest contract for a tackle. And he was one of the best in the league in the last two years. They trade him away back to New England where he... He thrived. That's where he became. That's where he made a name for himself. Traded him for. They traded him for a fifth round pick. Terrible value for a guy that has been named to the Pro Bowl. You know, they, you know, they got rid of Antonio Brown all those years ago. They ended up getting rid of LaMarcus Joyner, who is, who was, 
mm, this this kind of makes me angry. All right, so Lamarcus Joyner was form was formerly a a safety for the L.A. Rams. He leaves the Rams and he signs a massive contract, like four years, like in the forty million range, which is, you know, that's a that's a bad contract for a player that only had you know a year of success as a safety, and instead of signing him to be a safety they signed him to be a slot corner we've seen a lot of these slot corners uh in free agency like uh what's his name justin coleman he signed a one-year deal worth three million to be the slot corner for the dolphins we've seen uh mike hilton another slot corner signed with the Bengals, four years 24 million so they sign a guy that broke out as a safety and made him switch positions to a position where he's historically before that was very below average. Doesn't make any sense at all for Vegas to move him there. So they end up paying for that and they cut him. They tried to... Alright, so I have like my computer open right now. There's... There's a button on here, it call, it's called Backspace. So I'm going to click that very quickly. That's exactly what the Vegas Raiders have done to their offensive linemen. Traded away Trent Brown for absolute peanuts. They got rid of another guard named Richie Incognito. Excuse me, Richie Incognito. They ended up re-signing, but he's getting up there in age, and that's, you know, concerning. And then they trade away Rodney Hudson for... No reason at all. And then they also end up training Gabe Jackson for what felt like no reason at all either. They end up making, you know, making these moves to bring in what feels like six defensive linemen who are all probably not going to start and another receiver who has been injury prone. Just an awful offseason. And with their with the offensive linemen that they traded away in Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson, they let it be known that they were going to be cut first. And, you know, I understand, you know, hey, they got some value back for those players. And, you know, yeah, but you got to think. They announced that they were going to release him. And once they, once that leaked, they kind of... You know, they didn't react well to it. And and essentially, you know, a couple hours after they announced that they were going to cut him, they ended up trading him. I guarantee you, they did this with Khalil Mack. It felt like he... It felt like it came out that Khalil Mack was available for trade. Let's, let's go from like 12 to 12 p.m. It felt like in that span, he was already gone. I guarantee you, if they just let the market play out and wait for more offers to come in, they probably would have gotten more value. So you're telling me that, you know, if if they would have waited, if they would have... You don't think that if they didn't... Like the Cardinals and the Seahawks, who traded for Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson... You're telling me that if they if that didn't leak, 
If that didn't leak, don't you think that they would have gave up more than a third round pick or more than a fifth round pick? Because those guys are perennial Pro Bowl players. Maybe not Gabe Jackson, but he's, you know, damn near a Pro Bowler. I I don't get what the Raiders are doing, man. It's it's very their organization has been extremely incompetent and nobody seems to talk about it. We all like to make fun of the Texans for, you know, how bad they've done it. Have how bad, you know, the moves that they've made have been, you know, like training away Hopkins and they've messed up the hop uh the Deshaun Watson situation. We all like to make fun of the Jets for bringing in Adam Gase and signing Le'Veon Bell to such a crappy deal. But you got to think, you know, the the Jets are on the come up now. Bill Bell, not Bill Belichick, Bill O'Brien. He seemed logical in quite a bit of his, his moves. Like trading away Clowney was what I felt like a good move. You know, considering that he's definitely not the Pro Bowl player that we all think that he is. But the Raiders, it feels like all of the players that they, that they brought in, it's not based off of, you know, a skill uh, perspective. It's, it feels like all of these guys have just an emotional connection with uh, Gruden, the head coach. And Gruden loves their, you know, emotional stories, so they bring him in. So hopefully the Raiders at one point can bring back, you know, a competent offensive line because we've seen their quarterback, Derek Carr, struggle awfully with little um, protection. And now you let go of one of the best tackles, you're one of the better guards in the league and a, the best center in the league. So good luck, Raiders, next season, I guess. I mean, this is, uh, the Raiders are extremely frustrating. I wish that they, they're one of the more box office teams in the league, and you just wish that a team like that could just be competent, but they're not, and just good luck. Good luck, Raiders fans. Now we move on to something a little more positive. Actually, I would say much more positive in the New England Patriots. They've had a a hell of an offseason in my eyes. You know, this is a their offseason haul so far has been very mixed when it comes to other fans. A lot of people like their moves, a lot of people don't like their moves, and I'm one of the people that really likes their moves for the most part. You know, maybe outside of like the Jalen Mills contracts, you know, I don't love it too much. I like his versatility, but I don't like his I don't like his contract. It's not massive. It's I mean four years, twenty four million, but certainly not the contract you should be paying to somebody of Jalen Mills's caliber. But outside of that, every single move makes sense and replicates past New England teams. So they bring back Cam Newton for the, for one, which a lot of people have had mixed emotions on since he's clearly not the MVP level player with New England, at least this past season. But then you got to think, he had no 
weapons to work with at all. Out, I mean, Julian Edelman is a hell of a slot receiver, but again, he can't carry that load. Nikhil Harry seems like a bust, which is unfortunate to say since, you know, he's a he's an ASU alum and he's a local guy and he was phenomenal in college. But in the end, he just can't separate at all. It's been unfortunate when it comes to his development so far. So they've brought in other receivers and two tight ends, which I'll get into the tight ends in a couple minutes. But I want to talk about these receivers and that they brought in Nelson Aguilar from the Raiders and Kendrick Bourne of the Niners. Nelson Aguilar had a hell of a season this past year with the Raiders. I can't, I don't have the stats right up in front of me, but they signed him to a two-year deal with $26 million, which at first glance for a player like him, you would think like Nelson Aguilar with $13 million a year. In my eyes, you know, it it makes sense. They're not trying to go after these top-heavy receivers like a, like a Kenny Galladay or a Corey Davis, which they, they should have went after a Galladay or a Corey Davis. But they bring in Nelson Aguilar, who's one of the, you know, better deep threats in the league. And he he developed, you know, his hands. I'll say that. he's He looks... A lot better catching the fo- uh, catching the football, a lot more comfortable within his routes and being able to adjust his hands to the football. He's no, he has made a noticeable improvement in that, and he gets a a good contract, and he goes to New England, and you can only hope that he remains that threat that he was with the Raiders, and they bring in Kendrick Bourne, who is a bit of an slept on receiver with the Niners you know he's not I at least I don't remember at the top of my head but you know his statistics doesn't show you know a three-year 22 and a half million dollar player but then you got to think in the New England sense you know he's one of the best route runners in in the league it feels like I mean he's extremely smooth when it comes to you know his footwork and he has good hands as well and when you pair like those two with a player in Edelman and, you know, maybe they could help the potential in uh, Nikhil Harry in his development, these are some very good signings. And then we can all make the argument that they should go get themselves a star heavy receiver like a Galladay. But it feels like they're reverting back to the early 2010s era. They brought in two tight ends, which was unorthodox of, you know, it's a, it's signings that you wouldn't expect any other team to make. But when you think about New England and them signing tight ends, it feels like it all makes sense. They brought in the Titans tight end, Jonu Smith, four years, $50 million, who is going to be one of the... You know, he's. It feels like their sightings of tight ends, they're going to be working the middle a lot. You know, working the seams, just running vertical routes. And with a team um, on offense that's built, it feels like this offense is built for the tight ends to go up the seams and maybe, you know, the short 
intermediate routes for the Agalors and the Borns and the Edelmans. They bring in Jonu Smith to be uh, pretty much the athletic uh, pass catcher. He's not m- much of a blocker, but he's actually one of the better route runners when it comes to comes to tight ends, and he really broke out this season with the Titans, and you know, four years, 50 million, maybe a little bit of an overpay. But in, when it comes to New England, they kind of have to overpay because they've had they didn't have a good season this past season, and they had to had to pay top notch for some of these other players. Then they bring in Hunter Henry, three years, thirty seven and a half million, who's probably going to be more of a more of a red zone threat. He's another one of the um he's another pass catcher, but he's also can help you in in the blocking game. Maybe not not as much as you would like, but this very much resembles a early two thousand tens. Uh, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez when they were two of the best tight ends in the league at that time. And as much as you know, I could rave about this offense. You know, let me let me mention. You know, they traded for Trent Brown, which they they're they're now setting up Cam Newton for success, which is something that they didn't do a couple seasons ago when they had Brady. This season, it feels like they've made a commitment to Cam Newton potentially for the next two to three seasons. And not only, you know, every offseason comes with, like, the notable offensive signings, but then again, they brought in defensive players. Right now, they have a second-round tender on their star corner, J.C. Jackson. In case you don't know what a second-round tender is, he's... He's a restricted free agent, and for any player, for any team that offers him a contract, and if J.C. Jackson accepts that contract, they would have to give New England a second-round pick for signing said player. So it feels like they are trying to garner picks back in exchange for J.C. Jackson, which... It would suck to get rid of him, but then you got to think that this this secondary is still one of the better secondaries in the league. You still have Gilmore. You still have Joan Williams, and I'm pretty sure I'm forgetting another one. Maybe McCordy, maybe the McCordy brothers. and But that's besides the point. They brought their major defensive signing was Matthew Judon from the Ravens. Four years, $56 million dollars. You know, one of the older style um, pass rushers. And you think, you know, with Belichick's system, feels like everybody has like a carved out role that, you know, you know that they're going to have. They're going to use Matthew Judon in a whole bunch of pass rushing formations. They're going to use him exclusively as a pass rusher. And that's, you know, obvious. But it feels like they're using him as a, as an asset when it comes, you know, they're going to be creative with their their blitzes and they're going to be creative when it comes to using him on the line and around. And then you also got to think that, you know, they brought back Kyle Van Noy on a two-year deal, $13 million, who is looking more like a, you know, he can blitz. He can also cover a little bit. He's getting up there in age. 
but he's a perfect fit to what New England wants to do with their linebackers. They use their linebackers very creatively, and Kyle Van Noy, you know, New England, they they really use Kyle Van Noy to, you know, very successfully in their scheme. And then you also got to think they're they're bringing back Dante Hightower. They're bringing people back from uh, their holdouts from last season. I think a lot of people really have to keep their eyes on, on New England. This is a team that you could... I would not be shocked by the end of the season. We could be talking... You know, they paid Cam Newton $14 million, and we could simply be talking about him as one of the best quarterbacks in the game again, if all goes to plan. But yes, New England is... It's, it's New England's and Bill Belichick's redemption season, and it's going to be exciting to see what they can do with such a revamped team. And now we're going to move on to the Chicago Bears, and not necessarily we're going to go over their offseason, but rather the quarterback that they brought in. They signed former Bengals and Cowboys quarterback Andy Dalton to a one-year deal worth $10 million. A signing like this, it kind of signals, you know, how desperate Chicago is for a for a quarterback, just somebody that could be competent and be consistent. Feels like they have... It feels like they have never had that, at least in, in this area, at this era. They tested Mitchell Trubisky, and he very simply wasn't worth the number two pick, and it was frustrating to to watch him play in the last couple of games that he played as a bear. He ends up going to, to Buffalo, and Nick Foles is just simply not a good starter anymore it feels like it, it it sucks you know Chicago has a has a playoff ready defense and their offense may I mean maybe not their offensive line you know they may not be the best and their weapons may not be the best but I guarantee you that if they had maybe like what's a good example of like an average court if they brought in if they brought in Sam Darnold or if they drafted a quarterback like like Mac Jones, this team would be pushing for the top of the division or maybe just second place ahead of the Vikings and the in the Lions. Feels like all Chicago needs is a competent quarterback and they bring in Andy, Andy Dalton who didn't play awful last season and I'm not gonna you know, he's played in cold weather before, and Chicago, you know, it's a cold place, and, you know, it, the cold really isn't good for, you know, an older quarterback's body, especially one that's definitely not the most strong when it comes to pushing the ball. So I'm not going to use that excuse because he's played in Cincinnati, which is another very cold place, and has played in Pittsburgh twice a year and Baltimore twice a year. But I am scared that Andy Dalton is just gonna is gonna flop. He's an older guy. Maybe he's not the oldest quarterback, and he's definitely not the worst quarterback. You just hope that he just stays consistent and can lead this team to to a playoff berth, because this team 
that defense is ready to win, but this and this system, you know, of, you know, coach Matt Nagy and the general manager, their their jobs are on the line this next season. They tried to trade for Russell Wilson before they signed Andy Dalton and they couldn't get that done. Essentially they you know, they couldn't bring in Russell Wilson, so they brought in Andy Dalton, but then they also cut their top corner. I don't like I don't like that they cut their top corner just to bring in a, a quarterback, which again, it's it it's just it probably is just a risk that they had to take releasing their top corner and bringing in an average quarterback because this team badly wants to win. And Matt Nagy, he has to. Oh man, this this team, it you know, it's not bad that they brought in Andy Dalton. You just for a team that's so desperately just for the fans' sake need a quarterback. This this era of having Mike Glennon and Mitchell Trubisky, and Nick Foles, um, fucking Jay Cutler. It's been such a depressing era for the Bears, and all they need now is a quarterback to get them over the hump, and they don't have that. And this front office just feel, doesn't feel competent, and they, they're they not taking as very many risks as they should. They should have got rid of Trubisky years ago. But then again, they had to trust him because they didn't have any other hope at quarterback. And uh, and I don't know if Allen Robinson will be coming back even though they tagged him. They're shopping the, their slot receiver, I think he is, Anthony Miller. But man, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago. Andy Dalton is the new starting quarterback for the Chicago Bears and You know, you wish good luck to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace for their job's sake, and you can only hope that they could make the make the postseason and I wouldn't maybe do some damage with Andy Dalton. And really, there's a whole lot of other offseason moves that I just would love to talk about. There's so many fascinating moves in my eyes that it's, it could very well change the duration of this league. And the first, you know, league-changing signing, I'll, you know, I'll be overdramatic with it. It's a league-changing. Kenny Galladay, the, the star receiver that formerly played for the Detroit Lions, signed with the New York Giants on a four-year, $72 million deal. I have seen the, you know, the potential of this happening and seeing the Giants fans all over Twitter just begging for Kenny Galladay to come to the come to the Giants and it does happen. It's a good it's a good signing. He gets the contract that he has been dying to get, you know, a multi-year deal, 18 million a year. And Kenny Galladay is going to be the number one receiver next to Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, along with Evan Ingram as the tight end and Saquon Barkley as the as the running back. 
it's a great move to give Daniel Jones a maybe like a like a security blanket. You know, Kenny Galladay, if he was on another team, he would be talked about as one of the best receivers in the league. He could he could, he could really jump out of the gym. He's good when it comes to getting contested balls. He's really good when it comes to, you know, body his body control is amazing. I remember there was a time, I think it was the Atlanta game, where he he's targeted, he's running like a like a like an in route or something like that. The ball gets thrown behind him a little bit. He he you know, comes back to the ball, you know, mid-air and catches it, and he also just gets hit, and he holds onto the ball, and it's, it's if you saw us, like, DeAndre Hopkins or Tyreek Hill, um, Devontae Adams make that catch, that would be all over Twitter and Bleacher Report, but nah, Kenny Galladay's in Detroit, so we never got that. He goes to a big market team with and he'll have a chance to be the number one receiver once again and be the security blanket to Daniel Jones. And you could very well see Daniel, Kenny Galladay, I'm sorry. You'll very well see Kenny Galladay make a push as one of the best receivers in the league this upcoming season. As much as I love this signing for the Giants, I'm still not sold on Daniel Jones as the future quarterback of this league. You know, he's not bad. He's certainly not a bad quarterback. But there is some issues where it feels unfixable. His pocket presence is terrible. No idea where the, his defenders are, where his offensive line is. He's it. He has tunnel vision, it feels like. He always fumbles the ball when he gets sacked. It it feels it just feels that way. They played against the Cardinals. He played against them twice, and he, I swear he's had f- friggin' five forced fumbles, and it's ridiculous how how he just cannot hold on to the ball at all. And Daniel Jones, he's like a you know he's fine. You know you would you know he's kind of like a like a cheese pizza. You know, you, let's just say, like, somebody really likes, you know, a, you know, a pepperoni pizza. They, they're dying for it. Like, this is the one, the one pizza that they've, they'll always want. And then it comes back and it's a cheese pizza. Like, you, you'll, you'll have it. It's fine. But you don't, you didn't really want that. You wanted the pepperoni pizza. It kind of relates to Daniel Jones. You, you know, he it's fine to have Daniel Jones, but you would much rather have, uh, let's say, like a Deshaun Watson or a Russell Wilson who's out there on the block. So I'm not necessarily sold on, on Daniel Jones being the future quarterback for this New York Giants team, but it's a good move to bring in Kenny Galladay and really give Daniel Jones a, a security blanket like how Hop is to Kyler and how... Devontae Adams is to Aaron Rodgers. It's a very good move for New York. Now I want to talk about the reigning AFC champions, the uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. 
They started off the the off season. I believe they were in the negatives in cap space. They had multiple players that were in the top ten in their position when it comes to their salary. They end up releasing their two tackles, which was a very interesting move to say the least. I mean, there one of them has been one of the top tackles in the league for how however many seasons, and the other one has been. He he's a former number one pick, and uh, he he's played very well before he uh, tore his Achilles, which is unfortunate. But they released both of their starting tackles, which for a team that struggled badly protecting Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl this past season, getting rid of their top two tackles definitely wouldn't have been my first choice. But they made a big move, and they signed the Patriots offensive lineman, his name's Joe Tooney, to a five-year deal worth $80 million. And then they also brought in Kyle Long on a one-year deal. Both of them are offensive guards. And when it comes to interior pressure, that that was what made them struggle the most, allowing Devin White to come up the middle and letting Ndamukong Sue just bully the interior offensive line. And, you know, certainly their tackles didn't do any favors, especially since, you know, their starting ones were out. But it it's a glaring problem for the Kansas City Chiefs. They bring in one of the best offensive guards in, in Joe Tooney, and they bring in Kyle Long, who took a year off just to get his body right. And, you know, if there was any season to sit out this was the one this was the season to sit out and you you can hope that he can just return to his you know very good starter level play for the Chiefs because you know the Chiefs need offensive linemen badly they pretty much used up all of their cap space to bring in Tooney and Kyle Long based off of, you know, all the restructures and the releases that they've made. And while this is a good upgrade for their offensive line, they still need starting level tackles, which I would believe that they would get both of their tackles back for a discounted price. And now they their their secondary is probably going to take a hit with their cornerback named Bashad Breland. He's hidden the open market, and they probably won't have enough space to to get him. They also quietly need receivers. In the Super Bowl, everybody was, you know, locked down. Sammy Watkins was a non-factor. And uh, their other receivers didn't make an impact outside of Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. They need somebody to get open. They try to get Juju Smith-Schuster, but then again, he's not a he's not a separator. It wouldn't have been a great fit. But then again, he had Antonio Brown as a number one, and maybe Juju could have been the number two to Tyreek Hill. But that's besides the point. They the Chiefs made they signed Tooney, they signed Kyle Long. They're good deals, but there's plenty. Of, there's a few other glaring holes and with the limited cap space that they have, I don't know if they'll be able to to fill those holes. How about the San Francisco 49ers? 
and them re-signing their tackle Trent Williams. Huge contract. So in case, you know, he's a he's going to enter his age 33 season. He signed a 6-year deal which is worth up to 138 million dollars. And you you'll you'll think, you know, this is a big overpay just considering like the his injury history and his position and the amount of years and money that they're giving him, but what it feels like this contract is actually a little more team friendly with how you know backloaded everything everything is when it comes to to the money. They bring in Trent, bring back Trent Williams, who played arguably his best season as a as a tackle with the San Francisco 49ers and he could very well play up to age 38 but this deal is you know kind of signifies that you know within that time span they they want to win a super bowl which is it, it's realistic they bring back Trent Williams and they're going to have their a healthy roster again which is you know with that team that they had last year they they have a with that team last year, they went six and ten with a whole bunch of backups, and you know six and ten may not seem like a great record, but the wins that they had were very hard nosed, and they were very good wins, and they bring back you know quite a bit of their players. They're not going to bring back Richard Sherman. They're not going to. I don't. They're, I don't think they'll bring in a top tier receiver. But they made. They brought back a few of their key players and didn't overpay plenty of them. Trent Williams may be an overpay to to some people. But it's a contract that you know, it's deserving for, you know, for one, he had, you know, his best season as as a tackle. And you just don't let talent like that walk. And they had to do that. And it's necessary. And it, they got to make a Super Bowl push with this team. And then again, you know, a lot of these multi-year contracts that you see being signed, they rarely they rarely last till the end of the to the end of their contracts. We've seen, you know, LaMarcus Joyner, I'll bring him up because I talked about the Raiders. Signed a four-year deal and made it only two years in. I mean, that kind of tells you something. You know, not a not everybody lasts to their, you know, their last year of the contract, and you know, at the end they probably they probably will let him go at some point in his contract. But they, all the moves that they've made so far and trying to save money, kind of signifies that they're ready to make a Super Bowl push once again with this this team and this head coach. Now I want to talk about this, uh, the Washington football team, who uh, have had a, you know, coming off of a season where it's probably the craziest season that you'll ever see for for an NFL team. Their coach, you know, battling cancer and beating cancer in the middle of a season, went through four different starting quarterbacks, along with, you know, it, it being a COVID season and they brought back a quarterback that nearly died from his injury 
they end up making the playoffs and they nearly knock off Tampa Bay, the Super Bowl champs. It is a hell of a season that they had. And they bring, you know, they had to bring over a quarterback because if that team has a quarterback and, you know, the other teams, you know, stay right where they're at, that team could very well push, you know, a bunch of teams to... They'll give teams problems. I'll say that. They bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick from the Dolphins on a one-year deal. And that, you know, I never thought of the football team being a, a destination for Fitzpatrick. But, but when it in terms of, like, this team and the other signings that they've made, it makes a ton of sense. And it's a, it's a flawless fit for what they are trying to do. It's going to be a whole bunch of... Based off of what they want to do, it's going to be a whole bunch of, you know, quick passes to to their speedsters and if you you know if you need somebody to just get off the quick passes Fitzpatrick will be a uh, you know he can do just that you know he's set up for success when it comes to his receivers you know Terry McLaurin is looking more and more like a top 10 receiver extremely fast and he has one of the best he's one of the best route runners in the league and it's underrated i'll say that they bring in curtis samuel from the panthers who broke out this past season he's a he's more like a gadget player that can you know work the end around plays and is a deep thread and he can also just he can get a lot of yards after the catch if you give him you know a slant or a crossing route or drag routes you know it's a it's an extremely good signing and then you gotta think they also have Logan Thomas as their tight end, and they have Antonio Gibson, who played much better than I thought he would as a rookie. And that defense, it feels like they just keep getting better and better. They bring in William Jackson to replace Ronald Darby, which isn't ideal, but William Jackson is arguably you know a better cover corner than, than Ronald Darby. You pair that with Kendall Fuller, and then that front seven, man, that front seven is dangerous and they have you know a noteworthy secondary as well and you know Fitzpatrick he may have those games where you know he has you know a three four interception game and then next day he'll have like a five touchdown game out of the blue so maybe you still go get yourself another quarterback or maybe they trust their corner their quarterback that played in the playoffs Taylor Heineke he definitely showed a lot of upside as a as a quarterback, you know, willing to put everything on the line to to win their playoff game and he was really accurate and he was good with his legs as well. You know, this team gave Tampa Bay the Super Bowl champions fits and made Brady and BA sweat. They bring in Fitzpatrick, they bring in another another weapon. They improved the defense by bringing hit William Jackson in. And, you know, maybe you bring, maybe you still keep that quarterback core afloat. And if that's the case, this is a team to watch as a potential breakout team. This is, they could very well come out of the NFC East as one of the best teams in the league. And that's crazy to think about when it comes to their quarterback situation but seriously do not sleep on this football team next season 
it's going to be a fun team to just watch. Now, I have to make this episode, you know, I have a little a little more negative parts to it. I'll say that. We're going to talk about the Panthers in their offseason. It's been extremely disappointing just to see what they have what they have done. You know, they franchise tag Taylor Moton, which is the correct move. That's their that's their right tackle. That man played extremely well uh protecting Teddy Bridgewater. And with the cap space that they had and the assets that they have right now, they could still go get Deshaun Watson if they wanted to. And if they did, that would be insane move and a great fit and you could pencil them in as a as a playoff team but Carolina I expected them to make you know a couple signings that would you know catch your eye the only one that really has caught my eye is Hassan Reddick who signed a one-year deal worth only eight million not a bad signing but considering that they're in a 4-3 and when it comes to Hassan Reddick, you know, he's a he stands up as a linebacker. In a 4-3, he's going to be, you know, more like a 4-3 pass rusher, which is, you know, that end spot where he's going to be on the ground putting his hand in the turf, and that's not ideal for somebody like that because he's a speedster. He has to, you know, stand up and get that quick burst to go past the offensive line. I don't that fit is questionable, but then again, he's going to his old college coach, uh, who happens to be the head coach of the Carolina Panthers, um, Matt Rule. So I won't, you know, completely leave that, leave that out. But I don't know. The fit is still questionable in my eyes, and outside of that, it's been underwhelming. They signed Denzel Perryman, who hasn't been what I thought he could be in the last two seasons. It's I remember thinking of him as one of the better, you know, one of like the top 10 middle linebackers in the league three years ago when he was on the Chargers. He's just simply, you know, lost a step and I don't know, he, he, it feels like he'll be a more of a liability as a, as a middle linebacker for them. They also bring in two offensive linemen who have been just known to be awful. And that's Cam Irving and Pat Elfline, two years, ten million for Cam Irving, and then Pat Elfline, three years, eleven and a half, which they're not terrible contracts, but it feels like they're paying them that much so that they can start. And if you want to, you know, trade for Deshaun Watson or just keep that Teddy Bridgewater or even draft a quarterback, you're not, you know, you have the weapons, but you're not protecting your quarterback at all which is it's concerning for a team that you know played pretty you know not a good record but you know fought pretty pretty hard last season they're expected to take another step and they bring in these two offensive linemen that have been known to just be liabilities just ask vikings fans i mean pat pat elfline you could very well make the case that he was probably the worst player to get, you know, starting snaps. It's it was embarrassing seeing what Pat Elfline was 
you know, not able to do and able to do as a, as a lineman. So it's concerning. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, never say never when it comes to bringing in a new quarterback, but it's been a it's been an ugly start so far for Carolina, and for a team that's looking to be on the rise, it's it's not looking good so far. Now there's three more signings or three more teams I'll say that uh, I'll go over. I want to start you know this ending part with the with the Chargers, who have had a good offseason, at least when it comes to their signings. They brought in a top three center in the league, Corey Lindsley. Five years, $62.5 million. They beat out Arizona, who in the end, they just went toe-to-toe when it came to contract offers, and the Chargers won. Corey Lindsley is going to be an amazing addition for Justin Herbert, who played, he, you could very well make a case he's already a top 10 quarterback in this league. Justin Herbert played amazing. His pocket presence looked much improved. He has a hell of an arm, and he's extremely accurate and surprisingly accurate. And he led that team to a couple of you know noticeable wins, which one I think really comes in mind is the is the game versus the Raiders where they won in overtime. I thought that was an extremely impressive win. And then you look at the other games that he played and where, you know, he almost won. He almost beat New Orleans. He almost beat Kansas City in his first game, which is, you know, he went toe-to-toe with some of the top quarterbacks in the league, and he played extremely confident and extremely impressive. You get your, you know, the problem was, you know, he didn't have much of an O-line. Now they have him... They have Brian Balaga on the uh, right tackle. They still have the 13th pick, which they could bring in another offensive lineman, or tr- maybe even use it in a trade for somebody like uh, his name is Orlando Brown on the Ravens who wants to play left tackle. And for the Chargers, that would just be perfect because then you you know you got your you know the best positions on the offensive line, just handled. And now it's a, it's a line that's, if it was, if this offensive line, let's just say like they have Orlando Brown, Corey Lindsley, and Brian Balaga last season, that team could have made the playoffs as a wild card team. I'm, I'm very sure that could, that could have happened if he had a, just a better offensive line, and maybe, you know, you could say a better head coach. Because, I mean, the the management and the, you know, protecting leads from last season was pretty atrocious. But but still, I mean, it's it was impressive to see what Herbert was able to do last season. And the defense is, you know, it's getting younger in age, and they looked really good. To, I mean, it was surprising to say that, but... They were pretty good, and they brought back Michael Davis as a corner on a three-year deal, which, you know, I thought he would have gotten a little bit more than what he did when it came came to came to money. But Michael Davis was one of the better cover corners in the league, and they bring him back on a very affordable deal, and all of a sudden this team could, depending on what else they do in the offseason, it's, 
impressive what the Chargers have done with their contracts and who have who they have signed. And it's unfortunate that they had to let go of players like Casey Hayward. And I'm not going to say Denzel Perryman. But they let go of Tri Turner, who is a former Pro Bowl guard, which they, you know, they had to do. But they bring in some guys that you can make the case are better than those two players right now. So I'm excited to see what the Chargers can do with a revamped offensive line, a new head coach, a new system, and I can't wait to watch Justin Herbert in the this coming season. The second to last team that I want to talk about is the New York Jets, who have... I don't know what to make of their offseason so far. They franchise-tagged Marcus May, who is a safety, who's not bad, but he's getting closer to 30. I believe he's 28 and maybe going to be 29 when this upcoming season begins, and I think it was right that they haven't paid him big money yet, or they they won't. I don't know what they'll do with Marcus May, but I don't know. It's not a... It's not a player that you would like to keep long-term on big money. But it's good that they kept him because if they let him go, there was it it would feel like there would be no future for that team. Even with, you know, the amazing hire of Robert Sala and having, you know, the 49er system come in. I think that was extremely smart. They also brought in Corey Davis on a three-year, $38 million deal, which is a deal that it, it, it could definitely feel like, it, like an overpay. I don't think he's had in a 1,000-yard season, and he's, a, he's the fifth overall pick in 2017. Now, I will say, you know, NFL stats, so probably some of the most uh, misleading stats, you know, the sport that has the most uh, misleading stats, like you could... You can no, let's go for a quarterback, for example. You know, I'll say this one thing before I get too off topic, but a quarterback can have a sixty-seven percent completion percentage and think that you know that's the the holy grail when it comes to a quarterback statistic. But then again, you know, a lot of those passes just could have been, you know, the easy dump offs and a lot of the you know incompletions that they have had. You know, they could. It could have just been batted down or just thrown away. You know, statistics in the NFL is very misleading. But that's besides the point. Corey Davis is a is a former fifth overall pick, and he's this season just became you know a you know a bigger name. He had a a pretty good season last year alongside um, AJ Brown, and he leaves for the Jets, where he could be the number one option. He could be the number two next to Jameson Crowder. And I really don't know what to make of that move. I just need to see what Corey Davis can do with, you know, whoever quarterback that they end up um, playing and taking. So, I mean, the Corey Davis signing is going to be incomplete for now, but I can see why people would say it's a it's an overpay. They brought in Carl Lawson on a three-year, $45 million deal, which, you know, I love that signing. You know, he may have only had, what was it, five and a half sacks, but, you know, getting those quarterback hits and just putting pressure on the quarterback is extremely important. And he had, what, the second most quarterback hits in the, in the league? And the Bengals let him go, which I don't think was a good move. And, 
you know, I'm not going to talk about the Bengals in this episode, but I think it was a mistake letting Carl Lawson go. And, you know, they couldn't do anything with Leonard Williams when they had him, and they bring in Carl Lawson, who could potentially do the same things that uh, Leonard Williams is doing with the Giants. And it's that was an amazing signing. And then they also bring in, you know, a couple, I wouldn't say project players, but players that are, you know, unknowns as well as uh, uh, Corey Davis. They brought in Gerard Davis from the Lions, who was a, another former first-round pick. He really just couldn't find playing time with Matt Patricia, which I don't know. It's You know, Matt Patricia just wasn't a good coach, and Davis wasn't a good fit. And, you know, when you go to a better defensive-minded coach than Robert Sala, and I would assume that Jared, Gerard Davis would make a bigger impact on the on a defense but it, that's a wait and see they also brought in the Marcus Joyner to possibly pay, play safety next to Marcus May and I'm hoping that they would pay him to be a to be a safety but even then you know he's still an unknown I mean he hasn't played the safety position in two years if they're planning on moving him there so that'll be a it will be interesting to see what they do with LaMarcus Joyner. But then again, they'll you know, they'll have the number two pick and the number twenty-three pick to make other improvements and whether that be to again upgrade at quarterback or trading for a Watson or a Wilson. I think that they're on the right track, but a lot of these players are unknown, so we'll just have to wait and see with them as well. Now the final team that I want to talk about is the Minnesota Vikings and their season. And then, you know, you guys probably know why I'm talking about this team based off of what I said earlier in the episode. But they, they've they had a pretty good offseason, if I do say so myself. They brought in Dalvin Tomlinson on a two-year, $22 million deal, formerly of the Giants. Another one of those, you know, hard-nosed um, nose tackles, defensive tackles. You pair him next to... Uh, what's-his-face's name, who missed the season? Michael Pierce, uh, who signed the last offseason but sat out uh, this past season. He was a... Dalvin Tomlinson was a very, you know, productive player and really helped make space for um, some of the other players to come through, like uh, Leonard Williams. And he was extremely disruptive in the in the running game and able to push he he was a lot stronger than a lot of the interior offensive linemen that they played against and he was a real force when he had it turned on and Minnesota with you know the defensive minded head coach and Mike Zimmer it's a very good signing and then the the final signing they brought in Patrick Peterson from Arizona for you know one year 10 million dollars it's a good signing for Minnesota. Their secondary is extremely young, and Patrick Peterson is going to be entering a scheme where they're going to be playing a lot more zone. And it feels like at, in this, um, when it comes to Patrick Peterson's age and where he is at physically, it's better for him to be playing in a a zone centered defense. Just due to the fact that you know he's lost he's lost a little bit of speed. He he's not the number one corner that he used to be with Arizona 
But you put him in a zone where he just has to, you know, use his instincts. And he has very good instincts, if I say so myself. And, you know, coming from a Cardinals fan. And, you know, he'll provide a veteran uh, presence in the secondary. And that's very good when you have, I believe, two first-round corners and then another second-round corner. It's good to have... A guy that has that one that once upon a time was at the top of his you know one of the best in the league and you know as a Cardinals fan it sucked seeing Pat Pete go I mean this was this feels a lot worse than when Campbell left and Calais Campbell I'm saying and Tyron Matthew uh got cut felt a lot it feels like this Patrick Peterson you know, leaving Arizona just, it didn't feel right. You know, it's going to be weird seeing him back in, you know, LSU colors, I'll say, since, you know, Minnesota, LSU, they have the same color scheme. But anyways, you know, Patrick Peterson, no longer a Cardinal. He's for sure going to end up having, I would I would say that he would have his jersey retired by Arizona, one of the best corners of, you know, Ever, I think the best corner ever for the for the Cardinals. And I just remember those days, you know, when Pat Pete was at the top of his game. And I would debate with a couple of other of my friends just saying that, you know, Patrick Peterson, best corner in the league. And, you know, all, you know having that fun debate. And, you know, we will we'll never have, like, that debate again, especially since, you know, Pete has, you know, fallen off, you know, a little bit. Not the corner he once was, but it's going to be weird seeing him in, in a different uniform. And all I got to say, you know, you know, one of the best Cardinals players of all time, for sure going to get his jersey retired. All I, all I got to do is just say thank you to Patrick Peterson. And with that, that will be the end of today's episode. And I thank you guys very much for listening. This was a lot longer of an episode. I haven't done a hour-long episode and however many episodes it feels (laughs) I haven't talked for this much in such a long time but anyways thank you guys again for for listening make sure to go follow the official Instagram at the AZ sports podcast and I'll see you guys next time